Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to, uh, uh, we're going to read a few verses in the book of Mark chapter 1, and then we're going to be in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. Um, and so we're going to get there uh, pretty quickly. But we have been working our way through the Apostles' Creed and talking about each of the statements that it makes. The Apostles' Creed, again, is not taken out of Scripture. It is based on the teachings of the Scripture. And what the Apostles' Creed is useful for is it is a, a statement, a summary statement of what it is that we believe as Christians. Um, and it's an important statement for us to come back to and remember what it is that we believe. Now, again, it itself is not Scripture, but it is based on Scripture. And so what we've been doing through this series is we've been going to the Scriptures to see where these truths that the Apostles' Creed uh, puts forward, where they come from and what we believe about them and what they signify to us and what they mean to us. Um, and today we are going to be um, on the statement that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you have been asking questions about different ones that have come up, and I hope we've answered some of those. And I can see the next one that's on the list is the Holy Catholic Church, and I've had a few questions about that one as well. So we're going to be getting to that. Tune in next week, or maybe the week after. This one actually might take two weeks, just saying. But we're getting close to the end of the Apostles' Creed. If some of you are tired of it, Sorry, check your heart, but um, we're going to dive in and we're going to finish this thing and get all the way through it. Um, and uh, so if you'll look with me very quickly in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, we have the, the record of Jesus being baptized here in Mark chapter 1. It says, in those days, in verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And so what we see here in this, this statement, and we've come back to this several times, is that we believe in one God. It says in Deuteronomy just before the, the introduction to the Ten Commandments, it says, the Lord your God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We have one God. But what we understand from the Scriptures is that our God, our one God, exists in three persons. And the Gospel of Mark, this statement, shows us all three persons of the Holy Spirit, or persons of the Godhead, acting together. So we have Jesus going down into the water to be baptized by John, then coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, the spirit like a dove descending upon him, and then a voice out of the heavens saying, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And so we have God the Father recognizing, acknowledging God the Son, and we have the spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. And so this spirit is what we're talking about today in the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit we're talking about the Spirit of God, one part of the Trinity, one part of God, fully God, and yet distinct from the other two persons of God. And so we're going to look today in some, some passages in John. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 record Jesus' last moments, last hours with his disciples. And in those last hours he spends with his disciples, he is imparting to them some, some truths and some comforts, some reminders 
some expectations of what the future is going to be, and he is just pouring into them everything he can with those last few hours that he has to spend with them. So if you look in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. All right, we're going to back up just a moment here. We're going to go to this verse of Scripture where he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So just all cards on the table here. This is the New American Standard translation that I'm reading from and that I've got projected on the screen here. And it uses the word helper. Now, in studying this, I looked at a couple of other translations, and some use the word advocate there. I will give you another advocate. Some use the word counselor. I'll give you another counselor there. In other words, this, this word is something that has more connotations. There's not a direct, simple one word that this word means. It, it is a function of who Jesus is. When he says another helper or another counselor, another advocate, what he's saying is, I've been here with you, but my time is coming. My time to finish the work that I've been given, that's coming to an end, and there's someone else who's coming who is like me that will be with you. And he goes on and he tells them, listen, this other one that's coming, it's not going to be exactly like me, it's going to be different than me. In that, it's going to be something that lives in you because he abides with you and will be in you, he says. So this is something different. This is something, something that they're not expecting. Something that they don't fully understand, to be honest. But he's trying to comfort them. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. He goes on, and in verse 20, there's this really peculiar statement here. He says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now listen, if you start to try to parse that out and try to get a mental picture of what that is, this is a, a strange thing. I, I had heard a speaker one time say, this is the gospel according to Tupperware, right? If you're trying to fit stuff inside other things, and then if, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, that doesn't seem to work, right? But the truth is, that's how he has made us. He has put Himself within us. This Holy Spirit who comes to live in our hearts, this is something that is Christ Himself. It is co-equal with God the Father. Just as Christ is in the Father and, and we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of us. And that we will be joined together with Him in a, a, a picture of unity that we don't fully understand. And I can say pretty confidently that we don't fully understand it because we don't usually act like it's the truth. Our behavior doesn't really reflect this truth. 
that the Spirit of God lives inside of me, I don't think that my life truly evidences what that would really look like. If God's power was living inside of me, my life should be radically different than it even is. He goes on and and tries to clarify some things. He he explains some things about who this Spirit is, who this Helper is. In John 14, verse 26, towards the end of the chapter, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Okay, So here we see some of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. It's God in in a a new form, God in a form separate from Jesus. But it's God, fully God, who comes to live inside of us. And part of his work, according to Jesus, is that he's going to teach us all things. And that he's going to bring to our remembrance all that Jesus said. So he's something that kind of works inside of us to help us remember and understand what Jesus came to teach. If you jump over to the next chapter, chapter 15, down to verse 26 and 27, he says this, When the Helper comes, who I will send from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. And you will testify also because you have been with Me from the beginning. But here we see again, part of the testimony, part of the work, part of the assignment of the Holy Spirit. He is being sent to testify about Jesus. He will testify about me. And this is important for us to understand his work, his function. His job is to point people back to Jesus. It's not to create superstars in the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit's job is not to make us look good. The Holy Spirit's job is to make Jesus look good. To point everyone back to the fact that Jesus was the answer that we needed. Jesus, going to the cross and dying for our sins, took care of everything. The work was completely finished by Him. And there is nothing else that we need. He is testifying about Jesus and the work that He did on the cross. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And He's going to teach us how to do the same. How to follow in those footsteps. Alright, now let's look in John chapter 16. Beginning in verse 5. Now this is kind of our largest section um, about the Holy Spirit in this talk from Jesus. But He goes on and He says this. But now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus, who has spent these last three years with these disciples, whom they have followed and listened to and and soaked up His teaching, whom they have witnessed as He healed the sick, how He made the blind to see again, how He made the lame to walk. They they saw Him take five loaves and two fish and, and break them apart and feed thousands. Jesus says to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. 
Now this had to land like a ton of bricks. Right? I mean, think about that. This is somebody that you have, you have given up everything. Right? That we see the, the disciples leave their fathers with their boats and they go and follow after Jesus. A tax collector gave up his, his life as a tax collector. A very profitable way to live, mind you, to go and follow after Jesus. They've given up everything to follow after him, and he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. And he explains, If I do not go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What this says is that there is something about the presence of the Holy Spirit that is more advantageous to the believer than the presence of Jesus himself. He goes on, he says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Here we see kind of three parts to the mission of the Holy Spirit. We see that he, His job is to con- convict us of sin. His job is to bring to our attention that our way is sinful, that our choices are often self-serving and not the decisions that God would want us to walk in. And that's good for us as believers because as we want to witness to people and bring them into salvation, bring them into the the fold of Christ, the great shepherd, we need someone on our side who can pierce the heart because we can't do that. Now I can say a lot of clever words and I can come up with a a nice sad story that would make your, your, your eyes start to get watery and stuff, but I cannot change your heart. The Holy Spirit can I can preach the Word of God, but if the Spirit doesn't do the work of taking those words and piercing your heart with them, then I am wasting my breath. Because if there was anything that I could talk someone into, someone else could come along and talk them out of it. The bottom line is, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of the sin that's in our life. And challenges us to live for Him. And he goes on, he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. So we don't have the example of Jesus walking, putting on this flesh and living day by day. We don't see Jesus as that example. And so we need the Holy Spirit to show us what is right and just. Not just what's wrong in our life, but also to show us what's right and which way to go. The Holy Spirit guides us in the righteousness of the Father. He says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. See, the Holy Spirit, I believe, has the work of keeping that judgment in place. That the ruler of this world cannot get the upper hand, cannot get a foothold that will allow him to win because the Holy Spirit is in control and sovereign and living in us. He goes on in verse 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Just pause on that moment right there. That, just that statement. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Listen, I've talked with a lot of people over the years and, and they say, well, I just don't know what, what God wants me to do next. I, I just don't feel like I ever hear God's voice. I don't feel like God's telling me what's next. What's next? 
And sometimes I take them back to this verse right here. Where Jesus, with the disciples, who were about to take the world by storm with the gospel, with the disciples in that room, He is saying to them, I have more things to say to you, but you aren't ready. You can't bear them right now. And I know that that's true for me. Even though I've been a Christian for over 30 years, I know that there's more in store for me. And I can't bear it right now. That's the great thing about the Gospel is that the Gospel never fades. It never gets lessened. It never gets weaker. It never gets old. It never gets boring. The Gospel is still as relevant to me in my life today as it was on the first day that I believed. The Gospel shapes the way that I think about the world. The Gospel shapes the way that I plan my life. The Gospel shapes everything about who I am. And more and more I am being yielded and shaped and molded into the image that God has designed me to be. And see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have more to say to you, but you can't bear them. And He says, but when He, the Spirit, comes... When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. And He will glorify Me. For He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. And therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. Now listen. The Holy Spirit, when He comes to live inside of us, His job is to teach us all the things that God has for us. And mixed into these passages is the passage where Jesus talks about the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, He will bear much fruit. I believe that learning to abide in Christ, learning to abide in Him, is learning to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it takes intentionality. It takes training. It takes discipline. I don't think that we can just go on with our normal lives doing all the things that we would do that the world does. Spend every moment of our time on something and not fit in any time to foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit and expect to live the life that God intended us to live. If we really claim Jesus as Lord, then we're yielding to Him. When we yield to Him, it's that we're yielding to His Holy Spirit inside of us. Why? Because Jesus has more to say to us, but He can't say it all. He needs the Spirit to speak it to us. As we learn and as we grow and as we experience this life, whether it's troubles or trials or or triumphs or, or, or great successes, no matter what comes our way, the Spirit will teach us when we need to know it, when we're ready to know it. Because our Father has more in store for us than what we have right now. But I think this is one of the most important things to test the Spirit is this in verse 14 where he says, He will glorify me. Jesus says of the work of the Holy Spirit that His work, the result of that, will that Jesus will receive the glory. If it's the Holy Spirit at work in a person, 
challenging them to be different, challenging them to live for him, challenging them to do things that are extraordinary, the end result of that is that Christ will receive the glory. I think there's a lot of people around the world today who are saying, well, I just did this because the Spirit told me to, and if you'll just buy my book, I'll explain it all to you. And I start to question those things. Is this about you or is it about Jesus? Is this about your glory or is it about His? We have to be on guard because if it's really the work of the Spirit, the glory goes to Jesus. Now listen, I read a lot of Christian books. I, I love to look at what you know, these other Christian leaders, brothers of mine that have gone before me, have written down for us as truths that they've learned, experiences that they have had that, that amplify and expound on the Scriptures and, and point us to Christ and what Christ can do in us. But we have to be careful that it's about Christ and not about the personality that presented it to you. You see, when it's really the Holy Spirit, all the glory goes to Jesus. If there's any of us mixed in, if there's any selfish way mixed in, then we're going to be striving for some of that glory for ourselves. Now, look with me at what happened. Um, Jesus makes all these promises about the Holy Spirit who's coming. He says, if I go away, then it's to your advantage that I go away because then I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And then he does. He goes away. But what happens is he dies on the cross. He's buried. They wait you know, through that, that Sabbath day. And then on the, the third day, he raises again from the dead. He is alive and he appears to them and he, he talks to them and he witnesses to them and he, he lets them see his hands where they were pierced. They let him, he lets them touch his side. And he says, you know, I am alive. I have conquered death. I have won the victory over sin. Your sins are dealt with. They're taken care of. Just believe in me. And then he says, I'm going to send you out. Go, therefore, into all nations and preach the gospel. We're supposed to teach people about what the word of God says. And as we go, we don't go alone. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And what he tells those first disciples as they're there witnessing him about to raise up into heaven. And he says, go back into Jerusalem and wait there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Whenever he does, you'll receive power. So they go back and they wait. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And the scripture says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So here we see kind of the first iteration, the first time that the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful manifestation and then empowers these men to do something incredible. 
When I say incredible, I mean that in the most literal sense. There were people who could not give credit to this thing that they were watching. They couldn't understand how it's possible. This, I don't get it. Aren't these those fishermen from Galilee? Right? It's like, aren't those the hicks from the sticks? They, they don't know anything. How is it that they're speaking my language? You see, the day of Pentecost was a special day for the Jewish people. They would come in from all over the world and they would be in the city on this day of Pentecost. And they, they came speaking lots of different languages from all over the known world. And as they got there and they heard this sound and everybody kind of turned and started to gather around this sound that they heard. And then these men come out who are just dressed like ordinary folks. Some people recognize them because of their accent or something about them. They say, aren't these guys from Galilee? Some of them obviously recognize them, know that they're just fishermen. They know that these are not people who should know all these languages. But they're able to speak languages that they had not known before. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what did they do with that? Did they say, come buy my book? Did they say, come follow us? No, Peter stood up and he said, listen, you guys have been here all along. You've seen the things that have happened. This Jesus that you guys just crucified, he was the Messiah that we'd been waiting for. What did he do with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him? He pointed the crowd to Jesus. He said, Jesus is the only answer for our salvation. Jesus is the only way that we find any hope of redemption and restoration in our relationship with God. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so you need to repent. You need to ask God for forgiveness because you have put to death His Messiah. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, these people hear the Word of God. And it's not just that they hear it, they are pierced to their hearts. And they say to Peter, what must we do to be saved? He tells them to repent, to believe, to be baptized. And the Scriptures tell us that on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. Was that the work of the disciples? No. That was the power of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples, pointing everyone to the power of Jesus Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's more work of the Holy Spirit, and there is more teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I think we're going to need one more week about the Holy Spirit before we get to that statement about the Holy Catholic Church. So, hang with me. And we're going to visit this a little bit more next week. Because, like I said, Paul starts to talk about this Spirit and how he works. If you read through the book of Acts, you see that the Spirit was leading Paul step by step on his missionary journeys. What does that look like? How does that work? And if you're hoping that I give you the formula to make the Holy Spirit work in your life, I'm going to disappoint you. But I'm going to take you to the Word of God. And we're going to see how the Spirit leads His people and works through us to bring glory to our Savior and to build His kingdom. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for Your Word that teaches us the truth. Thank You for preserving for us these statements that You made to Your disciples, these conversations that You had with them as You revealed Your desire for the work of their lives. 
as you showed them what you had in store. Jesus, I pray that we would be fully yours. That we would be yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. God, I pray that we would acknowledge that your Spirit living inside of us should change who we are from the inside out. And may we start to look at how we can tap into that power, how we can abide in that power. Jesus, thank You that You took care of everything on the cross. And thank You that You sent us another Helper. That You didn't leave us as orphans, but You put Your very self inside of us. Lord, help us to live like this is the truth. Help us to live like we really believe it. And may you be glorified in us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You respond to the Lord as he leads you this morning.